When we talk about terrorism, we, we think a lot about sort of the so-called third world, Africa and Asia, but a lot's happening in our backyards too. Hi, this is Phil Gerstie, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada. This is the Canadian Intelligence, eh? Okay, it is now late, or mid, early February, rather, 2022, and unless you're sleeping under a rock somewhere... Uh, you've probably heard what's happening in Canada, in Ottawa, the national, nation's capital, about 50 kilometers north of where I am. What's happening at the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor? Is it terrorism? Is it a riot? Is it a protest? Whatever kind of thing. And this is a good reminder that when we when we talk about terrorism, that um, it can happen anywhere. Whether or not this is terrorism is another question, but we have to be on guard for this. And, and so I, I came across a, a paper recently, which I found very, very interesting, it was put out by my guest, whom I'll introduce in a second, and is entitled Terrorism in France in 2021, Overview of the French Extremist Movements. I've in contact, I had the author with me today. His name is Alexandre Rudd. And in case you forgot, I did attack Alexandre about a year ago in February of 2021. And I brought him back on the podcast to talk about this paper and other issues surrounding what's happening in France. So, Alexandre, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So this this paper, and it's uh, just for information, it's put up by the Centre de Recherche de l'École des Officiers de la Gendarmerie Nationale in France, in your country, kind of like the RCMP, I suppose, here in Canada. What was the genesis? What was the, the, the raison d'être why you put this report out, this report out uh, most recently? So I had two objectives when I wrote it. I wrote a version in English, a version in French. But uh, the thing I wanted to do was first trying to have an overview of everything that happened in a year. Um, I do monthly threat monitoring for a few clients, both public, mostly security forces, and private entities. But I wanted to take the time to kind of present a more global approach over a longer period of time uh, to see what was just daily events and what was, I say, more global trends in the French extremist movements. So that was my first objective. The second one, I think, was trying to allow to have some fact-based discussion about the terrorist threat in France. I think most people learn about the risks through headlines, and I don't think it's the best way to have an unbiased view of the phenomenon, let's say. Uh, this year, we are in a presidential election year in France. Uh, the next president will be elected in April. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to bring my modest contribution to clarify what's happening, to, to say uh, what us analysts are seeing at the moment, and trying to do that in both languages so uh, we can reach more people and explain what's the situation in France and what the difficulty of the situation for the French security forces and, and the French government in general. I, When I read this report, the first thing that came to mind, it was very, very similar to something that I would have written when I worked for the security service. It's only four pages. It's very succinct. It's it's very extremely carefully written and very well written. You work for the Gendarmerie Nationale. I'm assuming that means you have access to sources that maybe many people don't. Did you find it a challenge to write this paper, which is an openly available paper, without going to sources that stay, still might be classified? In other words, I'm assuming you relied on open source for all, all of your information. Did you find that difficult to make that de- decision to what in, to include and what not to include based on your access to intelligence and, and classified information? I, I don't think that much. Uh, to be honest, um, so I use different sources uh, 99% of it being open sources, articles, websites that specialize on security issues, social media, and trying to build, uh, to build databases from this. 
uh, I was trying to bring up new data. I'm trying to do that each time I publish and trying to bring some numbers too, because I think it's important. Uh, I mean, the sources varies a lot regarding which group or movement you're following. Uh, some group are more open about it, some group are publishing more. Uh, some group are really big in revendicating attacks. Uh, and I was able to like sort that through with not too much difficulties. Um, um, I'm also lucky because I mean, like, I'm, uh, I work with a lot of people who are sending me content, uh, either to have my opinion or to bring some case, some case to my attention. Uh, so I was able to to use that uh, kind of content to sort it out and try to do something which was not too long. To I think four pages was uh, the right amount of information you see in one paper if you want it to be read. I certainly agree. I think that the the length is perfect. And one thing that I've often been uh, critical of is sometimes you you see terrorism analysis that's 30, 40, 50 pages, which is a typical academic paper. And again, not to be critical of academics, but I found the four pages was, again, very analogous to what we would do here in Canada. Now, getting to the content, Alexandre, you divided the, the, the terrorist threat to France in 2021 into three broad categories, jihadism, the ultra-left, and the ultra-right. This may be difficult for you to do in a very short podcast, but can you summarize for my listeners what you found? And if I were to ask you, of those three main groupings, and we realize that ultra-left and ultra-right are very nebulous, hard-to-nail-down terms, what would you consider to be the most worrisome threat to France, both in 2021 and now in early 2022? I mean... I think if you look at it, the, the numbers are quite clear. Um, jihadists have killed at least one person in France every year since 2015. Uh, for the last seven years, it's a total of 264 people killed, more than 1,000 injured, and uh, over, like I think, 48 attacks over that period of time, seven years. Over the same period of time, if you look at right-wing extremism, you're looking at around seven assaults like on people, who led to 11 people injured. You had a bunch of, so like, of uh, targeted arson, uh, people shooting guns at buildings, but for like violence against persons, it's about seven assault and 11 people injured. And but, no, none, but, no, but no deaths from the ultra-right then, the far right? Absolutely no, no deaths. And to my knowledge, uh, no planned attack on a person in the last two years, since 2019. Um, if you look at left-wing extremism, I just want to get, to get, the, to get the numbers out. Uh, left-wing extremism in France, what we call the ultra-left, um, uh, is responsible for about 200 arson a year. Uh, you rarely see violence against people, uh, except for law enforcement, of course, or during demonstration. I think this year we had one case of um, an attack on, on Catholics during a march, but that's quite, quite uncommon. Uh, so you have three different situations. Jihadists who target people and are, are quite successful at it, unfortunately. The right wing we are trying to organize, but still have like a, uh, like a slow operational activity. And left wing extremism who like target buildings mostly, but able to do it uh, pretty proficiently. I mean, so I, I think yeah, I think the, the point is like jihadism is the main threat in France, like by far. It had been since the last probably 10 years, uh, definitely since the last seven years. Uh, I mean, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be careful about other groups. I mean, like, 
Uh, right-wing extremists are trying to organize into cells. We saw a lot of arrests this year, and I think that's what he meant, uh, but with no real success for now. Uh, left-wing extremists are now targeting telecommunication targets more often uh, in order to deprive the government of its ability to communicate. So both are serious issues. Uh, both have to be monitored carefully. Uh, yet we don't see in ultra-left or ultra-right the capacity for violence or sophisticated action that the jihadists have. The jihadist crowd in France is the more complex and more violent, and I think it's a more dangerous movement in, in France this year. This is very counterintuitive. I don't know what the debate is like in, in, in France, uh, Alizan, but, but here in Canada, United States, it seems like that the only thing people want to talk about is the far right, whether they be neo-Nazis or fascists or white supremacists or white nationalists. And we'll get back to the the so-called freedom convoy in a few minutes. But your data seems to point that, at least in your country, that, again, that the facts speak for themselves, the numbers are there, that the jihadis not only have killed people, whereas the other two broadly referred to movements have not, but still constitute the greatest threat. Is there a lesson? Okay, I, I know that one nation's situation cannot necessarily be imposed or used to interpret that of another nation. But is there a lesson here for people to to remind them, guys, the jihadis haven't stopped what they're doing? You say it goes back in France for years. We've had attacks here in Canada as well. Are we are we in the West missing something significant by maybe dismissing as not as important the jihadi threat in 2022? I think we are. I think definitely because I mean, uh, after the data for France, I've been monitoring what's happening in the uh, like uh, across our borders, and uh, we have like worrying uh, cases kind of all over Europe. If you look at it since like, September, especially, uh, we had arrests uh, in uh, Germany, the Netherlands, Greece, uh, England. Uh, we had attacks in Spain, one dead uh, in, a, in a car ramming attack in September. We had uh, two attacks in the UK. Uh, David Ames, uh, the representative who got killed in Lyonse, was stabbed by a jihadist. The Liverpool bombing in November. Um, mm-hmm. We had cases in the US, uh, two attacks in, in Texas over the last four or five months, one in New Zealand, six people got stabbed in a, in a mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Germany definitely has an issue with right wing extremists and had a few like, really bad cases. England has some issue too. I mean, we saw a few cases where we were deadly in the last few years. But, I mean, the jihadist activity all over Europe is pretty pretty concerning, and especially in France, being the, the most targeted country over the last probably 10 years. Can you speculate as to why there doesn't seem to be as much concern? I mean, your paper and and, and your what you just said outlines quite clearly to me the significance of this threat. Do you have any ideas as to why it's being ignored today in ways that it wasn't? Is it is it a fatigue? Is it a post 9-11 fatigue? What it, why is it that people seem to be much less interested in this particular threat in 2022? I'd say two things. I think you, you are right. There is some level of uh, like post 9-11 fatigue of, of, on the subject. And for, even for France, a post, a post like, uh, November 13, right. of, uh, we saw that for years and now people are maybe less concerned than they were a few years back because just of the, of the fatigue. I also think some people may have a kind of an American-centered view of the subject. Um, America having, uh, the US have a real issue with writing tourism. 
at least more than what European countries are seeing. And some people believe that uh, we are in the same situation. I don't think we are. I think the, the data is quite clear on uh, what are the men's rates we are facing, which is jihadist by far. Uh, and I also think that as, as a country, we are better equipped to detect, and we had this discussion before, but we're better to equipped to detect uh, right-wing extremism because of history mm-hmm. uh, than we are for like jihadist extremism. I think France have been on the forefront of like making the difference and learning about it because we had so much, so many attacks mm-hmm. and, and so much uh, damages during the, the last few years. Let's talk about the most recent big attack, Alexandre. Of course, you're talking about the attack on the Stade de France and Bataclan back in November of, of 2015. As I remind my listeners, I was in Paris. I left Paris that day. My daughter and I had spent several weeks uh, touring northern France, some of the World War One and World War Two sites where Canada had fought. And we got out of Paris the morning of that attack itself. The trials have been going on for a number of months now uh, of the perpetrators of the, those attacks in which over 130 people were killed, as you noted. I know you have to be careful on what you can and cannot say, but can you comment on how is this, how is the French public reacting to these trials? It's been, oh, you know, six and a half years since they took place. Is, are, do, have people forgotten what happened or is this now bringing back memories for people? Because this, this was one of the largest terrorist attacks in Western history and it was a catastrophic attack. So what is the mood now in France that the trial is finally being held? And and I've been reading some of the, the testimony. The latest one is the one survivor said he changed his mind and you know didn't want to be a terrorist anymore. How is the average French citizen reacting to these trials? I mean, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult one because uh, the trial is uh, going on for a long time. It started in September and it's going to be ending in, in May, over nine months of trial. It's... Uh, 1,800 uh, people who have been um, asking for remedies, uh, 300 lawyers who had to build a, an entire court inside the courthouse to be able to house everyone. So there were a lot of interest and uh, at, at the beginning try to understand. It, it's a trial of the century, for probably it's a trial for the decade for us at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, now because it's, it's so long and it, been, it got stopped during January because of um, one of the, the, convict, of the accused uh, was uh, positive with COVID. People are kind of waiting for it to finish and to see what was would be the, the decision, uh, what were, would be the sentences handed out to the 20 uh, people who have been charged with terrorism offenses. Um, so because of like the number of things happening at the same time, the presidential election, the COVID, uh, and the trial, there were less interest uh, now on the trial that it used to be like back in, in September. But uh, yesterday we had uh, Salah Abdeslam, which is the only one surviving member of the right. commando. It, right. Uh, right. was talking in, uh, in trial and said uh, that he never killed or injured someone or he, and he wasn't really, uh, he shouldn't be considered dangerous to society. So pretty interesting cases. Well, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Uh, as you say, it is the, the trial of the decade. It is. It, it was a... Uh an attack of, of catastrophic proportions in France. Something very interesting, though, no, is happening now, Alexandre. Um, apparently inspired by the so-called Freedom Convoy, and I've seen some of the uh, trucks in France, uh, have, you know, the Le Convoi de Liberté, so they seem to be uh, mimicking what's happening here in Canada. Uh, you know, you've probably seen the news about what the 
impact has been here and again it's spreading across the country to the bridge between Canada and United States which is, which is having a significant impact on our supply chain on a whole variety of things including uh, fresh fruits and vegetables Canada is in the midst of winter and all of our produce comes from California and places south so if the trucks can't get across the bridge you can't buy your 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 uh, red peppers or your or your lettuce anymore what is it that what is the current situation now in France when it comes to this convoy? Do, do you see this as growing into something more significant as it has in Canada? And how has the how are the authorities, including law enforcement, including La Gendarmerie, how have they responded to the situation so far? So uh, for now, we're kind of waiting and see what's, ha- what's happening. Uh, so there was a lot of interest for, by a number of activists about the Freedom Convoy in Canada and trying to emulate something similar uh, in France. It started yesterday mostly. And it's slowly moving from all over France to Paris to be there on the 12th. Uh, it should be then going on the 13th and the 14th to Brussels to uh, demonstrate against most of the like uh, health uh, laws that have been taken, the vaccine pass, and things like that. Uh, I, I think if, if you look, you have to if you look at it, you see it's, it's kind of a mixed crowd. Uh, I think most people, and we saw a lot of messages on, on social network, are trying to have a peaceful protest, trying to emulate something with uh, just to show their attachment to freedom and a bunch of uh, and, and a few French values. Uh, but among them, of course, you have people who are able to try to use the situation to their own advantage, uh, including uh, ex- left-wing extremists and right-wing extremists who are trying to push a movement to a more more violent end. Uh, so. I think there is a concern in law enforcement and the government. Uh, they're trying to uh, reduce uh, the capacity for the convoy to reach Paris and to to to, to be able to to get into the capital. Uh, but we don't know what uh, the size uh, of the convoy is going to be and how big it's going to be and how much following is going to produce. Well, uh, for what it's worth, I, I sincerely hope that the situation doesn't uh, develop into the one it has here in Canada. I mean, I don't live in Ottawa anymore. I'm, I'm south of Ottawa, but the downtown is still paralyzed for the most part. There are concerns that this is this is now two weeks and is showing a few signs of ending. Law enforcement are, are frustrated on what they can and cannot do. There's concerns about it turning violent. Uh, a lot of rhetoric on both sides. Uh, government ministers calling this a potential violent overthrow of the Canadian state, which I think is a vast over-exaggeration. On the, on the other hand, you've got some very worrisome, hateful elements that have lopped on, uh, you know, uh, joined the, the truckers' movement. So uh, here's hoping that the situation in your country doesn't uh, doesn't descend into that as, as, as bad as it is here in Canada. Yeah, like I think one of the advantages we have as a, as a French security forces is that we have one specialty is crowd control. Uh, so we have like number of units who are ready to be deployed all over France. We had violence demonstration. I mean, we always had violent demonstration. We know how to deal with it. I think we are maybe better equipped than most of the North American crowd uh, regarding that kind of event. Once again, I mean, like, maybe I'm just optimistic about it. Uh, but I think yeah, we have a capacity to, to regulate such event, I think, which is at least better, better like, organized and most uh, Western country in general. Well, I sincerely hope it is that way we, because we're seeing manifestations of this in New Zealand, uh, in the United States and, and other areas. But Alexandre, I, I want to thank you yet again. You've been very kind with your time to talk about this. Again, congratulations 
on an amazingly well-written report on the state of terrorism in France in, in last year and moving forward. And I want to thank you again for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you again for having me. That was my conversation with Alexander Rod with the Gendarmerie Nationale de France. Uh, what do you think about what he had to say about the jihadi threat to France and, by extension, the jihadi threat to the West? Love to get your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You'll also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like the content want to get more, go to the website, borealisthreatenrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. You get all the content, all the podcasts and blogs, as well as a link to my latest book, The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism in Canada from Confederation to the Present. You can get it on the website or also on Amazon Kindle. Love to hear your feedback. We'll talk again soon. Until then, stay safe. Stay safe.